Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Okay, tonight we are going to talk about water and manna and quail. Water and manna and quail. We're going to begin in Exodus, um, the last half of verse 21. God has delivered the children of Israel. They crossed the Red Sea, and then the Red Sea closed back on uh, Pharaoh's chariot strike force, uh, drowning them. And then Moses wrote a song, and his sister Miriam helped him with it. And they spread it around the people, singing about how God had delivered them. Um, And also singing about God himself. And also about what God would do in the future. And that's where we're going to pick up. Let's go back to 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And then they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Merah, they could not drink the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Merah. And the people complained to Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and he showed them a tree. Then he cast it into the waters, and the waters were made sweet. Moses is leading Israel. Who do you think is leading Moses? I'd like to suggest that God is leading Moses because when Moses crossed the Red Sea, he wasn't in a region uh, that he was familiar with. And um, so even though Moses brought Israel, I believe that, that, that Moses was being directed by God. We are coming into a somewhat familiar passage of Scripture. So for those of you who are familiar with it, uh, I'd ask you to try to pretend that you don't know the story. So we can try to look at the story with some new eyes. When a large group of people are traveling, they have limited water that they're carrying with them. So when the children of Israel were going from place to place, they were going from water source to water source. They had to because they could only drink um, at places that they traveled to And if they didn't have any water, it was what they carried with them. And that was a limited amount. And they had just done some travel. So they drank a lot of the water that they had, and they needed some. So here they come up to this place. It's got pools of water, and they go up to drink it, and it doesn't taste good. There's something wrong with it. There's nobody there who's a chemist who's going to be able to say, oh yeah, this is wrong and here's what's in the water. There's no way to analyze it, but but they know what good water tastes like and, and this didn't taste good at all. And it says, the people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Good attitude, bad attitude? What do you think? Or we don't know. 
I, I think based on this passage of scripture, it's hard to judge the heart of the people at this point. If you have a child, and, and I have three daughters, um, two are grown, one is almost grown, um, but when they're thirsty, if I have a child who's thirsty and kind of is upset because they are thirsty, they're going to let me know. And they may be a little upset, but the attitude may not be bad. So we can't tell from here that there's a bad attitude. Moses in turn cries out to the Lord, and the Lord shows him a tree. Okay. That's odd. Didn't tell Moses to just go back and drink the water. It'll be good this time. Didn't say, okay, Moses, take your staff, strike the water, and then it'll it'll be better. Or go and wave your hands over the water, and it'll be better. No, none of those things. Take a tree and throw it into the water. I... I, when I went to college, I studied biology. I didn't use it afterwards because I was almost finished with my degree and I realized I wasn't a scientist. But I like science. And I took enough science to understand that you can't make a body of water potable by taking a tree and tossing it into the water. It won't happen. Whatever's in the tree isn't going to get out and make the water good, it, even if it took decades, it's not going to happen. If, you, if they chopped the tree into pieces and threw the pieces into the water, it wouldn't happen. If they, if they had a means to grind the tree into sawdust and to spread it all over the water and then to have men take big oars, they'd have to make the oars because they wouldn't have them with them and stir the water to impel it and to bring it up and so that whatever was in the wood particles got into the water and make it, made it better, the tree w wouldn't have enough of that to make the water good. So it's a miracle that this happened. And why a tree? I don't know. Maybe... God didn't want Moses using the staff too much. Maybe there would be concern that people would look at the staff and think that the staff had some magical powers. We as human beings do that, don't we? Um, back in the 80s, there was a very popular movie, The Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think I, I saw it three times in the cinema. And, and the premise of the movie was that the Ark of the Covenant had superpowers. It was some sort of cosmic generator and it, uh, it, it whoever owned it and could wield it would would rule maybe the world not true but you can see that it, we as human beings will take something divine power and attach it to people or we'll attach it to things so maybe God had Moses do something like take a tree and throw it in there um, so he wasn't using the staff but that's a guess I don't know. Okay, now we're going to continue um, to the last half of 25 and into 27. St still in chapter 15. There he, that is God, made a statue and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, If you diligently he heed the voice of the Lord your God and do it what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, 
I will put none of the diseases on you that I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And then they came to Elam, and there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. So they did pick up and move on to a place called Elam. And God chooses this time to tell them simply to listen to what he says and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments, and he has not given a lot of commandments yet. There haven't been that many. There are some things related to the Passover and maybe one or two other things, but there really isn't that much that the people had to heed at this point. But he's giving it to them so that they know how he thinks about his commandments because there are going to be more commandments to come. Now we're going to be in 16. And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Whoa. So they were at Elam and they had water and they filled up their skins didn't have food, so they still had the food that they were carrying with them, and they go to the wilderness of sin. I, whenever I see it, it's like, it makes me think of sin, you know, doing something that's wrong, and I'm thinking to myself, yes, sin is a wilderness, but that's not what the text is talking about. It's just a name. <laughs> so the people were concerned now, before it was water, now it's food, because their food reserves are running low. Is that a real concern? I think it is. Is it a concern that would be appropriate to bring to Moses or even to God? I think it is. And I think it bears out with Scripture. It, again, we go to the Psalms. A lot of the Psalms have to do with uh, complaining to God about one thing or another. And, tip and, and plain complaints that are legitimate and, and it's the working through of those complaints and, and the understanding that God is there and, and usually the psalm ends in faith of the person trusting in God for um, a, a resolution of, of whatever the issue is. They didn't go to Moses and Aaron and say, Moses and Aaron, we need to tell you that we're, we're concerned uh, our food reserves are running low. And, and, you know, we've got a lot of people here, a lot of uh, children. And, and would you please go to the Lord our God because he's done so many wonderful things. And, and just pray, just to make sure that we have the food that we need. And if there's anything that, that we're supposed to be doing that we're not doing, we'd like to know that. Or if we're doing something wrong, well, we'd like to know that. Because after all, the Lord just said that um, giving ear that we needed to give ear to His commandments and keep His statutes, and that we needed to do what was right in His sight. So, 
so please go and talk to the Lord and, and, and then and please let us know. That's not what they said. Immediately they'd lead into, oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and we ate bread to the full. leaving out the fact that they were making bricks, which was hard labor, leaving out the fact that their children had in their future making bricks under hard labor, leaving out the fact that if they didn't make their quota, uh, um, that the people could get beaten by the overseers. Very selective. And familiar. If you want to go back to 14... 10 to 12, and you don't have to because I'm going to read it. When the Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them because this is right when they're at the Red Sea. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is it not the word we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than it would be for that we should die in the wilderness. Same attitude, isn't it? Hey, they're messed up. And when I was a kid, that's what I thought. Oh, they're messed up. Then I, I started to live. And I started to realize that sometimes I was kind of like them. Well, how? Nothing really bad has happened to any of them yet. They are concerned about being thirsty. Nobody's dying of thirst. They're concerned about being hungry. Nobody's starving yet. Me. Well, my company, they just changed their computer system from one system to actually the same system but sort of an upgrade and, and, and we make glue, glue to make things like furniture or boxes or labels or tape, that kind of thing. And um, so we sell to the manufacturers um, and um, there's been a lot of anxiety because sometimes things don't go right. And I'm at my worst when I don't know what's going to happen and I'm powerless um, to affect the outcome. And that's when I've learned to start praying because that's when I can really have a bad attitude. I can also have that bad attitude when I think something's wrong with my car but I'm not sure what it is and I'm not sure how bad it is. It's also been that way when... Um, I was married before, and, and it's over 20 years ago, and I was divorced. And, and um, she's a Christian, and I'm a Christian. Um, and she's got a solid walk today with the Lord, um, as do I. Back then, we were both shaky. But as the marriage, we had these problems in the marriage. I, I was anxious, and um, I didn't always handle it well. Now, I knew about the children of Israel, so I didn't overtly accuse God of anything. Did I rebel? I think I did. I just didn't say the words. Other people will say the words. I've heard them. 
I've even heard, I wish I wasn't a Christian because, if I, if, because then I wouldn't have to be dealing with this. That hasn't happened often, but I've heard it. And you might have heard it also. Sometimes um, circumstances in our life can, can, can be so stressful um, that they can really challenge us. Part of the reason the stories are here is so that we can read and learn from them. Um, I could have done a better job when I was younger learning from these stories. I, I learned the don't overtly complain part, but the rebel part I had a problem with. So when we look at the children of Israel, let's also look, see if you can see yourself in anything that they say and do, not only in this chapter, but also further along in the book. So now staying, we're back to 16, and we're going to go to 4 and 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day so that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare in what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as what they gather daily. So the Lord responds quickly to, Mo, to Moses. And he also gives him a glimpse of what's going to come later in this chapter. The Lord's going to test Moses. Is that a good thing to do? God testing? Well, I think so. Uh, if we can think about Abraham, those of you who know the story where God told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, his only son. Um, the only son with which had, uh, that a promise came from, through. Uh, he had other sons, and, and, but this was the son, <laughs> the one between him and, and Sarah. And um, he sent Abraham to the top of Mount Moriah to sacrifice him just to see if he would do it, to test him, to see if he'd be willing to trust him to that point. And, and then he stopped him right before he did it. But, um, and I think he tests us. He uses circumstances in our lives to test us. I believe that. And, and, um, and we learn from failure. This is true in the spiritual life. It's also true in real life. I, I listen to um, podcasts and I've read, I read books occasionally. That, and, and I read it, it just people in life, they, they talk about how they um, learn from failures and then they're able to apply what they learn later on. Um, and and then we do that in the Christian life. When I look back, and I look, I mentioned I had been married, and I was a Christian, and my ex-wife is a Christian, and and um, and the marriage failed, and we contributed towards that, and I learned from that afterwards, so that I wouldn't do it again because I'm married now. I have been over 20 years, and I don't want to make the same mistakes. That's a good way to be. Exodus 16:6 six to 8. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel. At evening you shall know that the Lord brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and morning bread to the full. 
For the Lord hears your complaints, which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Moses is properly directing the complaints of the people where they ought to be going. The people aren't really complaining so much to the Lord as they are to Moses. But what's going on here is um, an attitude towards God without, again, without, you know, I mentioned before that um, I rebelled, but I didn't say the words. Well, they're rebelling against God, but they're, they're projecting it onto Moses. Okay, 16, 9, and 10. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. And now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of God appeared in the cloud. So, first God gets their attention. And he chooses Aaron, who up until this point hadn't been speaking as much directly, not that we could see, speaking to the people. 16.11 to 12, Then the Lord said to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And then 13, So it was that the quails came up at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay all around the camp, and when the layer of dew lifted, there... On the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. When the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Then Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer for each person according to the number of persons and let every man take for those who are in his tent. An omer. We don't use omer. An omer would be nine and one-third dry cups. And I say dry cups because I learned a couple of years ago there's a difference between dry cups and liquid cups. I learned this by using a liquid measure for something dry when I was trying to cook something and it didn't come out the way it was supposed to. <laughs> a way to think of a dry cup. Typically, if you most cereals, that, like a Cheerios, for example, uh, they'll say um, a serving is one cup. So that's one way to think about it. It's like an average, what the man manufacturers would say is a serving of, of cereals that aren't sweetened, but they're just regular cereals. So nine and a third of them per person, and, and each one was supposed to gather according to what they needed and not take more. Picking up with verse 17. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more and some less. When they measured it by omers, he who 
gathered much, had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered each according to um, gathered according to each one's need, and Moses said, Let no one leave any till the morning. So as we're going along, Moses is there are instructions that are being given. Take what you need, don't take more. Don't take less. And don't leave any of it until the morning. Verse 20, notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. So here's that test part that was coming. God wanted to see if the people would listen to him. Some simple instructions. Take what you need. Use all of it up every day. If it's Friday, take double and prepare what you need because Saturday is going to be a day of rest and you're not going to have anything to gather anyway. And some of them didn't pass it. And we also learned that manna that just stayed on the ground, it just melted, sort of like, I don't know if it's like ice, but it, I'm trying to think of what that would be like and if it would be gross. But the important thing was that whatever they didn't pick up, uh, it melted. Sixteen twenty-two to 23, And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses, and he said to them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today. Boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. In verse 24, they laid it up until morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. And Moses said, eat that today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will, today you will not find it in the field. Six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. So there's a Sabbath rest, a seventh day rest that is instituted. And God has miraculously allowed it so every week there's going to be a miracle. Every week, what they gather on Friday is still going to be good for Saturday. But what they get on Tuesday, if there's anything extra on Wednesday, it's not going to be good. And why did people gather more than what they needed? Well, what if tomorrow there isn't manna at all? Or what if tomorrow there isn't enough manna? I, for some, it was a lack of faith. A lack of faith that tomorrow there'd be manna just like there was today. So let me just take some and I'll save it. What harm could that do? Ignoring the fact that they've been told not to do that. So I'm going to pick up with verse 27. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather and found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, 
for the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. I wonder if the people who didn't bother to collect twice as much on, on, on Friday were the same people who earlier had gone and gathered extra when they were trying to be practical and just in case. Except now it was, well, we've seen that what happens when it's overnight. Anything you gather on today is not going to be good tomorrow, so why, we, why are we going to gather twice as much? Well, the answer is because God said it would be okay and, 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 and it would be edible. Is that a miracle? Yes. These are people who have seen miracle after miracle. They saw the plagues. They, they crossed the Red Sea. They saw bitter water be made drinkable. They have manna, bread falling from heaven, and quail. Quail, meat flying in. You know, little birds, not, not huge birds, but they, they, they had enough meat on them and, and they were easy to bat down and enough of them to satisfy a large group of, of people who were migrating. And still, there were some who didn't trust. And the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Then Moses said, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer of it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. So, another miracle. They're going to take this, this manna, which, which goes bad overnight usually, except for Fridays when you can actually keep it an extra day, and it's going to go into a container, and it's going to go and be kept um, for, for hundreds of years into the future, and it's never going to go bad. It's another great miracle. Coriander seed, by the way, it looks a little bit like breakfast cereal like sort of a round breakfast cereal, maybe like rounder Rice Krispies, except that they're maybe not as light. Um, it looks like the sort of thing you would have for breakfast. Or maybe um, it's kind of a biggish grain that you'd grind up if you're going to make bread. except it didn't taste like bread. It tasted like wafers made with honey, which sounds like something, you know, that would be a delicacy back then. So they had this great tasting bread that fell from heaven, and they had protein that would fly through to them on a regular basis, birds that were easy to back, to knock down and to prepare. God was faithful. Picking up with 33, Moses said to Aaron, take a pot and put an omer of manna in it and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations as the Lord commanded Moses. So Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. The children of Israel ate manna 
40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. Again, I don't... That's the kind of um, volume measure that they had back then. Um, forty years they're going to... God was going to feed them like this miraculously every day for forty years. That's incredible. What are our takeaways? Well, it's a simple story, but there are some takeaways for us. I think we can see ourselves in the children of Israel. Disobeying. Accusing God, albeit passive-aggressively because they'd accuse instead Moses and Aaron, but they were really accusing God. Uh, Wishing they were back in Egypt, wishing they were slaves again. But God was patient with them and gave them what they needed anyway. Just like with children, again, going back to being a parent, you know, if I have a child who's hungry and and maybe they're not having a good attitude about it, maybe I'm getting a rant about how hungry they are and why didn't I get them dinner yet, I'm still going to get them dinner. I'm going to get them what they need because... You know, if it's, say, one of my daughters, I I love her, and I'm going to do it anyway. So in the same way, that's what God was doing with them. I don't want you to think, based on just the story, that we can have whatever attitude we want and still get what we need from God. That's not what the story is teaching. Instead, it's teaching that God is patient with us and puts up with our attitude sometimes, still giving us what we need. If anyone wondered whether or not this was a people that deserved being saved to begin with, we're getting some hints that they didn't really deserve it any more than you or I uh, deserve being saved through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We all did things that were wrong. None of us deserve it. Even for people who are Christians for a very long time, if they're mature in the faith, they, they have a deeper understanding of their own sinfulness and a gratefulness for the salvation of God. God will continue to lead and sustain the children of Israel, and the children of Israel will still continue to have an attitude problem. And, and sometimes we'll see that God will be gracious and patient with them, giving them what they need or not giving them what they deserve. If there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus, because I've been talking about the children of Israel and about how they didn't um, deserve um, salvation and that we don't, des- we don't deserve it either, I can explain that to you in, in more detail about how the gospel works and how the gospel can save you. Um, let's pray.
You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.